Today on the podcast, how I got milked for thousands of dollars outsourcing my business, my one and only automation secret, and a hot growth market that I think is going to mean millions to a few intrepid individuals. Let's get moving. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This is the Lifestyle Business Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Ian. And we believe that starting a profitable business is the best way to achieve the lifestyle that you desire. What is going on, Ian? We are having a great week here in San Diego. How about you guys over there? Uh, I am having a challenging but fun week here in Manila, meeting a lot of really cool people. I moved to a new part of town in order to set up our office and it's very far from the place that I used to live, so I'm, you know, meeting new people, uh, trying to do a lot of networking, and uh, having a lot of fun with that. Work has been challenging because uh, there's so much to get done. Drowning in our ambition a little this week, but I think uh, this weekend is going to be a big catch-up time for me and, and the team. Yeah, huge news right there. Uh, we should point out that we're getting our own office in the Philippines. Pretty cool. That's very exciting for me. Yeah, um, you know, the challenge is going to be. Uh, to open up an office that in the, in the mission of not only our podcast but of our business is to provide a platform for the personal freedom of the people involved. And so, of course, the challenge is often offices represent the opposite of freedom. And what we want to do is build an office that is actually an enabler um, to our personal freedom and our employees as well. I think that that's a cool challenge, and I definitely think that you know at the end of the day, we're going to have more freedom because we have a, a platform here in Manila that's a brick-and-mortar, a solid place. Just to be fair, we, we've already got an office, so it's not like this is new, new stuff for us. Right, but this is, our, this is kind of our, our visionary office, right? So we're going to be able to fit a bunch more heads in there, um, and it's in a better location uh, that's really um, conducive to what we're up to. So I think it's uh, all in all, it's going to be this. This is kind of the office that's going to be fulfilling our vision that we've had for a little bit, and so that's something that I want to talk about today, um, and that I think a lot of people would be interested in is how we started working with people in the Philippines and what we've migrated towards in terms of how we work in the Philippines now. So uh, I think it's important to tell everybody our kind of our backstory about how this went down. Um, so we started to get interest in the Philippines, what would you say, um, nine months ago? I think it was about nine months ago. And interested um, might be a bit of a misnomer, like just actually heard about the Philippines, you know? Like um, the only thing the Philippines was to me previous to nine months ago was like the place that some of my friends' parents had come from. And I really, di- I really didn't know anything else about the Philippines at all. I mean, I really just thought it was like, well, I guess they – it's kind of like Thailand or something, you know, I just didn't know anything. I was pretty ignorant about it. Right, but we had been experiencing, or excuse me, we had been uh, experimenting with outsourcing professionals in other countries before that's, the Philippines. That's that's correct. We, we had done a lot of work in um, China, India, and Vietnam. Those are the three places that we've been doing work with. Okay, so... What kind of drew you to the Philippines, and uh, what was kind of the door that you went through to get into the Philippines? And I don't mean physically, I mean, what was the first step? Um, the first step was it got brought up by an internet marketing buddy of mine. Um, his name is uh, Sterling. He's the co-host of the um, 
Internet Business Mastery podcast. And so I was having lunch with him. I think it was like our little mastermind group. And he just brought up, started going off about Filipinos to me. And um, I'm not sure what exactly his situation was in the Philippines at the time, but he had he's a, a friendship with John Jonas, who is one of the major outsourced of the Philippine guys on the web. He sells programs helping people to outsource on the web. And and those two guys were basically um, the guys that put it on my radar. I immediately went home and did all the research on outsourcing the Philippines I possibly could. It was it was like a just lightning struck. I mean, it, it was it's such the Philippines is such an obvious competitive advantage. You know, it just wasn't on my radar until those guys brought it up. Now, hold on, back up just a second. Um, when you say you went back and did research on the internet, what kind of research did you do specifically, and where were you landing, and where were you finding such compelling information? Um, there's a couple pieces of compelling, particularly compelling information. Uh, John Jonas did a guest uh, spot on Sterling's podcast, where he he basically um, is pitching the Philippines and also pitching his program called ReplaceMyself.com. He like he he drives home some like pretty incredible, compelling points. And John Jonas has the right idea, and he really sells the Philippines hard, and I believed in his arguments. And then um, on my own, I did a lot of, like, kind of meta research on the Philippines, like, to start to understand. So I uh, I, I searched for things like entrepreneurs located in the Philippines, uh, companies located in the Philippines. I wrote some people some emails. I uh, did a lot of Wikipedia stuff, things like that, and just kind of got myself familiarized with what was going down here in the Philippines. Okay, so you started to get the hint that maybe the Philippines was the place to outsource. Now, what exactly at the time were we trying to outsource? At the time, we were operating uh, one of our main sites on a Yahoo Store platform, which was a really limited platform. I had understood at the time through my consulting work with web development that our website needed to be moved over to uh, open source Drupal platform. Or that's the platform that I wanted to go with. A freelance web developer in the United States is a decent solution, but it's pretty expensive. Also, the reason I don't like that is it's like not super sustainable for us because, you know, if you can't like some, sometimes like updating a website can be kind of like an incremental value to your company, and so you don't want to like put a whole new big expense chunk on your books for that like in the long term. So if you have to call a developer every two weeks, you know, and just get a big ding, that's not really acceptable. And then the other scenario of like hiring a developer, it's possible that we could have made that work, but it's really risky when a good developer can cost like 70 grand or something in the United States. It's like, and that's just salary. Like there's so many other accessorial costs that come with bringing a developer onto your team. So we weren't ready to make that transition. So we were in between a rock and a hard place. Like actually outsourcing was really the only outlet for us. Like it was either don't update your website, number one, or number two, outsource. So it was like the only option for us. It was the only way we could afford it. And, uh, and you know, assuming given the premise that we wanted to make this big leap forward into a much more powerful web framework, something that our competitors, you know, still haven't done, for example. And, so um, what I immediately started doing was looking for Drupal developers in the Philippines. You had got some information from Sterling over at Internet Business Mastery, sounds like. You had heard about a program that John Jonas was selling, um, and we were looking for Drupal developers. And so everything kind of started to align, it sounds like. Um, That's right. Tell me about the way that you 
um, hired the first Drupal developer? Uh, the first way I did it was quite simple, Craigslist. I put up an ad on um, Manila, Cebu, and like Davao. Like, I, lo- I looked up like what are the top five most biggest cities in the Philippines, and I went to those cities totally randomly and put up a job ad. I need a Drupal expert rock star guy and, uh, you know, based on experience pay and I need to do this and, and please write me back with your resume and all this stuff. So that's how I started out. By the way, let me back up real quick. There was one other um, thing that was conflating that I think is important on the Lifestyle Business Podcast to mention. Uh, you, you mentioned these kind of forces coming together. There was one other force, which is that I had been back in San Diego for, um, I kind of like left to travel the world uh, a couple years previous, and then I'd been back in San Diego working with you and, and our other business partner to pull together new stuff going on, and I was basically, I had the itch to like do something big and do something in Asia, basically. And, uh, you know, my previous kind of experiment in Vietnam didn't really work out so well, and uh, so I was looking for a way to like make this lifestyle work. And so for me, there was also a big element, like all this whole Filipino thing, like really depends on my passion for traveling and for living in Asia. And if I didn't have that, we would have probably looked elsewhere to solve these problems. And so I think that's important um, for people to recognize that the fact that I wanted to live in like Asia and do this weird traveling stuff, it could easily be seen as a liability and just something to be snuffed out. But instead, I thought, well, why don't I try to run with that and see what I can offer to my company by doing that. Right, um, which is obviously something we're all about, kind of going with your heart or your, your passion for lifestyle, basically. When I say heart, that sounds a little cheesy, but I mean, um, basically your heart was in Asia. Yeah, and in the lifestyle that that provides and like the kinds of opportunities I see when I'm here. And, you know, I'm sure like say if we weren't business partners, maybe what you would have done is like write, write like, basically the alternate option was to like get like a really pro developer involved, write the guy a pretty big check, like just get it kind of once and done polished up and just completed. And then you would have found other ways to grow in the competences that you're currently working on. But now that we've decided to make this jump to the Philippines, that expands how you're able to make money for the company too, because you see a lot of the opportunities vis-a-vis the information that I'm um, putting back your way. So I mean, it right. would have worked out. It would have worked out either way. And I think that's another interesting thing is like, you know, a lot of people in business, like, if if they're not too experienced, they're kind of like always worried about someone stealing their idea, or they're always they have these kind of concerns that aren't real business concerns. Like, oh, I've got a, um, it's it's got to be just so, and it's got to be just like this. I mean, for me, it's like more organic process. You kind of organically find ways to provide value as you go about doing business. That's vague, yeah. but uh, do you know what I mean by that? I mean, well, can you distill I, I, what I think I'm what you're. To say? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're trying to say is that, uh, and this is extremely true for us, is that our our business model has basically changed since we've been in in the Philippines in a lot of ways. I mean, our core focus is kind of the same, but like the way we sell, the way we do business has changed a lot. And I think, um, you know, we're we're entrepreneurs, so business ideas are popping up. Um, And some people would say it's a liability. I don't think it ever turned from a liability into into something good. I think it's always been something good for us, um, which is just um, experimentation. Okay, so we kind of got off track there, but I think in a good way. Let me kind of recap. So um, you had hired your first two guys off Craigslist. So uh, tell me about those first two guys and tell me about managing them from um, California. I definitely made some some big mistakes. I mean, I don't have um, 
these guys, I'm assuming in retrospect, um, probably were doing this with quite a few clients. So Craigslist isn't, it's not like really popular in the Philippines. So the guys that are turned on to Craigslist, they understand the opportunity to work freelance for guys like me and guys like a lot of our listeners and, you know, get paid good. Basically, and, it, and, it really and when you did, say good, you mean really good for the amount of work that they were doing. Yeah. Um, basically, so the punchline, what happened is I basically got milked for a couple grand over the course of a couple months. Biggest mistake that I made was not taking it seriously enough. So my attitude about like virtual assistance at the time and was was really one that was kind of like, well, you know, at at the end of the day, these guys are getting paid basically nothing, you know, or, or it doesn't mean a lot to me. Like, and uh, just for example, and this is this is not the way I would approach things now, but at the time, the figure of four hundred dollars, like, doesn't really make me serious, you know. It's just it's four hundred dollars, you know, and that combined with this kind of attitude about it's a, it's a like, good thing you you don't run the books, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know that's very true. By the way, <laughs> I don't know if anybody can figure out personality differences involved here, but uh, yeah, that's a good bit of psychology. I should not be in the books. Um, I'm very good at spending money. I'm very good at identifying investments. <laughs> and um, so, I had a, a combination of that attitude with um, kind of like the attitude of, well, they're kind of like someone just to like dump all this stuff on and take care of it for me. And because it's like a virtual assistant, right? Like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Just like say, hey, get this done in two weeks or whatever, and we'll talk. Basically, what happened is in like a lot of software projects, um, and, you know, this happens all the time, even with my employees in in terms of software, is that things go over budget and over time. And um, and it just basically kept going, and we, we, we were having difficulty solving issues, and nothing really got polished or resolved in a way that I would have liked to I've seen it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I spent a lot of money on guys that didn't get anything done for, for a couple months there. Okay. So uh, you hired these guys on Craigslist and it sounds like it was a little bit of a management issue. And I know it was cause I was there with you, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the biggest shortcomings that we had was uh, viewing it as a long-term proposition. And so I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the things didn't get done or polished off is because, um, you know, we like hired these guys off Craigslist and um, we like barely knew their last names and, and like who knew if they were going to be on staff with us in a year from now. And so kind of fast forward, you well, know, through you that. Know, to to comment say, on that, what you're talking about specifically is the fact that I like cop to hiring these guys as full-time employees very early. And the reason I did that is because I was so in love with the idea of it that I kind of like lost track of the nuts and bolts of doing business. And um, you know, didn't properly qualify their skill sets. Like they fit the right mold for me. And so what I wanted is them to join up with our team. And I wanted to have that capability. And so I forced my hand and, and got them into a contract, which was, which was silly. We should have just worked freelance and, and ensured that it was going to work out, you know? So, so I guess, do you think it's possible to hire people off Craigslist to do um, development or other tasks um, as freelancers from the United States? That's a good question. I mean, p- probably possible. Um, 
I don't think Craigslist is a really great forum for the reasons that we brought up. But if you're going to do it, I think what you really need to do is like place a value on the work that you want to have completed in a freelance, like, like you would in any kind of normal freelance scenario and start there. And, you know, you know, I just restructured a contract with, um, we have an employee who has a lot of, who does a lot of other stuff. He's like very much like a freelance mindset, very entrepreneurial. And, uh, I kind of had him on a salary. I did have him on a salary and I just restructured that. I just went to him and I said, Hey, you know, like what you do is valuable for me, but not if I'm paying you as a salary. So what I'll do is I'll pay you piecemeal, like a, a, a freelancer. And that works out fine, you know, and um, if you don't, some people just don't have that employee mindset and it's important to suss that out and to arrange things that make sense for everybody. So to me, from my perspective, I don't care how many other people my people are working for as long as like that's clearly in the terms and like everybody's benefiting. So if I pay, for example, a guy $5 to write an article, like we both agree that that works for both of us, you know. Um, but if I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars a month to be a manager at my company, you can't go home at night and work for another company, <laughs> you know, because I need your best energy and I need you, uh, focused on growth vis-a-vis my platform. Okay. So that brings up a good point. So that brings up a good point. Um, what should people be looking for in terms of, um, salary? Like if somebody's trying to bring someone on full time, um, let everybody know, like, um, like what standard salaries are? If you studied like computer computer engineering in school, or like computer science, and that can mean a bunch of different things, by the way, in the Philippines, definitely like not going to have the... Well, it's in general, studying computer science doesn't mean you can code. So I think that's something that uh, not a lot of people that are non-technical people uh, are exposed to. So it's worth digging into their coding background and asking them what kinds of things they've built and, you know, all that kind of stuff. A lot of kids in the Philippines will graduate from computer science and not even have built a website ever. So something worth uh, looking into. But those kinds of kids with that kind of degree background, they're about 20 years old when they get out of college here. Um, They're looking for, in Manila, they're looking for about $220 a month. Uh, Basically, the salaries range anywhere from $250 to about $1,000 a month is really high end. Uh, I interviewed a girl a couple nights ago, for example, that does like uh, minor web development like CSS and HTML updates for like a major uh, software developer company. And she makes like $800 a month and she's been at it for like eight years. So, and she, and she banks a lot of that, you know, like that's a really good salary here. So, I mean, people on our team, anywhere from 250 to a thousand, basically. One question I can address here. I got a question in my email inbox a couple days ago. I've been uh, slow to respond. Um, thank you for that, by the way. One question was, is like, can you get people in the Philippines that like basically are comparable to Americans, like in terms of drive or mindset or judgment skills and all this stuff? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Like you can, there are guys here in the Philippines that like make 50, 60, 70 grand a year. And the reason they do is because they are comparable to, um, you know, Americans that are higher level guys or, or other Westerners. So and my real sincere hope is that the kids on our team, they're quite young, most of them, um, they develop into that kind of thing. And so that's how everybody can really win. Um, where we get in, we can scale. So, like, I was having this <laughs> – let me loop back. Um, one of the girls I was interviewing kind of dubiously said to me, like, yeah, like, you're here because of the cheap labor, you know? And, like, she was like, oh, yeah, I got you pegged, buddy. 
And I thought, you know, okay, you can think of it like that, but let me share with you how I'm thinking of it. What Ian and I are doing, we really believe in. And we want to invest in it as swiftly as possible. And unfortunately, if we operate in California, we can't really make what looks like a swift investment because there's so many liabilities. And so if we come here, we can get more people involved in what we believe in immediately, like this year. And... Look, I don't care. It's not about cheap labor. It's about investing fast and scaling fast. And um, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I have no particular need for for cheap labor. Like, we, I'm, I'm totally cool with our business having expensive labor. Um, and I, I frankly hope that that develops into that. But in order for us to invest, um, this is a way that we can do it faster. So I think that's an alternate perspective. And so, no, I'm not. And I think that's important when you're hiring VAs too, is like, um, it's not helpful when you look at it as cheap labor and treat it like that, because you're going to get that in return better when you think about expediting your ability to scale. Right. And I think we kind of learned this lesson in the beginning, um, you know, with the mindset that we had. Okay. So, um, so I want to get, I want to get, through the process of, of our story too. So we've kind of talked about how to hire and manage from afar. Now, um, what was your breaking point? What made you think, I'm going to get on the plane to the Philippines and what's going to make other people think, I'm going to get on the plane to the Philippines and uh, start getting serious about this on the ground? I think the difficulty in doing that is if you haven't achieved a location-independent lifestyle, it's just difficult to know what to do, I guess. So, so for me, it was like, well, I just came here and like, I do all my work on my laptop anyway. And so for me, it was like, no sweat. It was like, where am I going to put my guitars? That was the only barrier to me being here. But for someone with more commitments back home, it can be tricky to decide like, well, how much time do I need to spend there? Like, what exactly am I going to accomplish when I'm there? And that. So um, I think it's such a varied thing for everybody um, that it's kind of difficult to address, you know, like... If you're an entrepreneur and you've got a family and a house and all this stuff and like what's it what's really gonna be the value of coming to the Philippines and like how am I gonna ensure that it's valuable and all this stuff? Those are questions that are really difficult for me to answer kind of in a general way. Okay, but we can expect that some people are gonna be able to have a hiring manager maybe come over to the Philippines. And okay. so kind of what's the next step that that person takes uh, after they get off the plane in the Philippines? Figuring out where to locate your business, I think, is the most critical step. And for me, it took five months, really, to make that decision. That's not 100% business-driven. It was also personal stuff. I wanted to be traveling and everything and understanding the Philippines from a personal perspective. But I've got to see a lot of the country. There's, there's, there's a number of good candidates, depending on what the scale of your investment is and what it is you want to do here. So there's a lot of interesting uh, places that you can locate. And I think that's the next step, you know. Once you get an office and you set up your corporation and all this stuff, you're going to find that it's it's really easy to hire people. The availability of people is is high. And there are places in the Philippines, like in the provinces, where there's lots of smart cats because – the education system is really good here. Like the university system is good and a lot of kids go to university. And what you see when you're out in province and like nice cities out in the province, like there's not enough jobs. There's no jobs in this country, you know, like in Manila and Cebu, it's really kind of a different vibe because these are tech centers and all the smartest kids move here and and try to get good jobs and everything. But the kids that stay back in places like out on the islands, like there are just no good jobs for them. And they're smart kids, and a lot of them are just kind of hanging out, just, uh, you know, 
working at a restaurant or, or doing whatever. There's, there's not a lot to do. Well, let's let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk about the quality of the people that you're going to find um, once you get on the ground there. So I know um, we've scooped up a couple of our employees from call centers, which are a place where really smart cats usually hang out. I'm thinking of one of our guys in particular that we got from the call center. How, you know, how do these guys that are like working in the call center view an opportunity like ours once you get over there? A call center job is a couple things. It, de- it depends a little bit on where you're located. Like in Manila, working in a call center can mean something slightly different than when you're in Cebu. Cebu is the second kind of city for that stuff. Manila is like far and away the leader. There's a couple things. Like if, you know, your family's going to be really proud of you if you're working in a call center, you're also probably going to view a call center job as extremely secure. On the other hand, call centers do see a lot of churn. And the reason for that is they're they're doing a lot of incestuous poaching, number one. Um, but number two, call center jobs suck. Like nine times out of ten. I mean, you know, out the gate, if you get a call center job, there's a lot of things that are good about that. Like you've got security, you've got a really good salary probably, your parents are really proud of you. But at the end of the day, like Filipinos aren't different from us in in this respect, which is that we want jobs that are exciting and are allow us to be passionate about what we're I haven't met anybody who's passionate about call center. And so to me, there's a huge competitive advantage for guys like us that we want real team members to do things like help us market our business or to help us, even if that's pick up the phones eventually, but they're picking up the phones for our business and our customers. And that's something that they have ownership in. Um, and, you know, a lot of what we're doing is building websites and graphics and stuff that's fun. So we have a huge competitive advantage over the call centers because our kids are passionate about what we're doing and so are we. And I don't know anybody at a call center who's just excited about picking up the phone from Shirley from Texas who's got an issue with their cable program. Okay, so we're really presenting them with a unique opportunity, which I think is personally cool because I, I get to feel good about that. Touch base again on uh, managing these guys once you're over there because mm-hmm. I, I really want to focus on the um, positive points of being on the ground there and working with these guys. Okay. Um, what's the difference that you see managing from afar versus managing on the ground over there? When you're a world away, it, it's difficult to have a high bandwidth of communication with a large number of people. And right now, we don't have an office, so I'm still managing people via Skype and via telephone and everything. But getting a chance to meet with them every week is a huge opportunity and really helps to build rapport, build trust. We get together and we brainstorm together. And we these things, like they're more difficult to do on the phone. And uh, in fact, I'm so excited about being in the presence of, of my team that... I'm building an office because I think that that really increases the bandwidth of information that can flow between two people. It's a big barrier, you know, like just being able to just just phone and email is is not enough to have a like a really integrated approach. It's I mean, this is a classic example of trying to explain something via a series of emails over the course of a couple of weeks or sitting down with, um, with your team member at a laptop and just actually discussing it. You know, you can just imagine the difference. I think eventually you're going to be able to telemanage more effectively because maybe everybody will have like really nice high bandwidth video cameras and like you can get in virtual 
rooms with each other and all this stuff, and that's going to change things for sure. But in the meantime, there's not much substitute to just sitting across the table from somebody. When you talk about managing over there, what do you what do you think what do you think some strategies are for people when they come over there? Does it make sense to come over there and have a hiring manager and somebody looking over two or three people or like thirty people? I mean, when do you think it makes sense to show up to the Philippines? Is this only kind of at scale? You know, if you're doing the right things, one or two people on your team can have such a big impact on your business that I would visit them immediately. And, it, and the other thing is if you have one or two people, they can help. We call this, we have this concept of like your anchor guys. So your first couple guys that you feel like can help build your presence in a place and they can do things for you like get bank accounts or get addresses or, you know, kind of like really the nuts and bolts of it. And meeting those first two guys, you can really uh, understand what they see in the opportunity and kind of get information from them. They can do a lot for you. (laughs) You know, they can have a pretty profound impact on your future. So I think it makes sense to meet them as soon as possible. And one other thing about this general management approach is I'm really like a cultural deflationist. A lot of people, when you come to the Philippines, they'll like sit you down like it's a big secret and they're going to like tell you about the cultural differences and what Filipinos think when you say this and stuff. Like I have always been anti all that stuff and especially in the Philippines because I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're dealing with basic human psychology and, you know, like people want to be respected and they want to be involved in something great and if you are focused on that, you don't have to worry about like silly cultural foibles, you know, like that are totally irrelevant to our projects anyway. So I wouldn't, I'm a naysayer when it comes to like people who've got the inside click on X culture, you know, I think it's, these are red herrings cooked up by people who are focused on them because they're doing BS with people, you know, they're trying to force people into jobs that suck anyway. And so, yeah, like, you know, what would be the, I sometimes wonder when people are telling me these silly cultural observations, like, what would they be saying about a guy like me, like an American, if I were sitting in a call center being forced to do crap, like, this guy is fat and lazy, and that's part of his heritage, and, you know, <laughs> well, I mean? <laughs> that's just, maybe that's just what I would say, Yeah, but, uh, I don't so think everybody would say that about you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's just a style about like my management approach is to say like I'm bringing everything to the table like that I would um, managing a group in California and I'm bringing that here and it and it works great. So. And and I'm hearing that it's really important to have anchor employees or linchpins in the Philippines um, to help you get rolling whether you're there or you're not there. Yeah, and to to really take that mindset to it that it's very possible to find people in the Philippines that are just as capable as you. So treat them as colleagues, you know, real equals and take that approach into it. And you're going to, if, if you're going to develop great team members, and if you have that attitude about it, if you have the attitude about, you just want someone to slough off work to, I'm sure you can find somebody like that too, but those aren't people that are really going to breathe life into your business. You know, it's one thing to have someone who like can enter all your data for you or whatever, like basically like a robotic type task. But man, when you get somebody on your team who really has passion for what they're doing, it's like you get lift, you know? It's like you get lift off the runway because they're coming, pushing you, bringing new things into your business that you didn't explicitly tell them to bring in. And so to me, it's all about finding linchpins, people that, okay, so I I got asked a question the other day, what's your number one automation technique. And I'm sitting there at like 4 p.m. playing my guitar, learning a BB King lick, thinking, why am I playing the guitar right now and not working? What's my automation strategy? And my auto- I don't have any. I don't have 
detailed processes. I don't have weird software tricks or Tim Ferriss tools. My only strategy is hire good people. That's it. That's my automation secret. Is when you hire good people and you're like, hey, good person, I want you to create X for the company. That's it. Like that's the end of my automation strategy. And it's working awesome. Well, really, really, really valuable stuff, Dan. I'm glad we could talk about this, and uh, hopefully, this uh, format worked out for the listeners. Yeah, I hope it's I hope it's valuable for everybody, and uh, this is really piquing people's interest. And it's clear to me that there's a lot of ways to make a million bucks in this stuff. So if you're sitting there on the other end of this podcast listening, like, "Ooh, that does sound like a good opportunity," trust me, it is. It really is. And uh, there there are examples, countless examples of, of people who are u- using this information and making a lot of money out of it. So that's your thing. That's definitely my thing. So go for it. (laughs) That's my thing too. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Okay. Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us. Always good to have you. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Get signed up and keep up to date on everything we're doing.